You're listening to episode two of Reading with My Brothers. Hey there, brother. It's Dave. Glad you're here to uh, join me again for another reading from A Godly Man's Picture. Today we're knocking out chapters one, two, and three. They're all pretty short. What the Godly Pray For, Expounding the Nature of Godliness, and a Reproof to Such as Are Only Pretenders to Godliness. Should be good. Let's get started. Chapter 1, What the Godly Pray For For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee. Psalm 32, 6 Holy David at the beginning of this psalm shows us wherein true happiness consists, not in beauty, honor, riches, the world's trinity, but in the forgiveness of sin. Blessed is he whose transgression is given, verse 1. The Hebrew word to forgive signifies to carry out of sight, which agrees well with the words of Jeremiah, quote, In those days, saith the Lord, the sins of Judah shall be sought for, and they shall not be found. Jeremiah 50, 20. This is an incomprehensible blessing, and such as lays a foundation for all other mercies. I shall just glance at it and lay down these five assertions about it. Number one, the forgiveness of sin is an act of God's free grace. The Greek word for forgive, charizomai, makes clear the source of pardon. Pardon does not arise from anything inherent in us, but is the pure result of free grace, charis. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. Isaiah 43.25 When a creditor forgives a debtor, he does it freely. Pardon of sin is a fine thread spun out of the heart of free grace. Paul cries out, I obtained mercy. 1 Timothy 1.13. I was bemercied. He who is pardoned is all bestrewn with mercy. When the Lord pardons a sinner, he does not pay a debt, but gives a legacy. Number two, God in forgiving sin remits the guilt and penalty. Guilt cries for justice. No sooner had Adam eaten the apple than he saw the, quote, flaming sword and heard the curse. But in remission, God indulges the sinner. He seems to say to him, Though you have fallen into the hands of my justice and deserve to die, yet I will absolve you, and whatever is charged against you shall be discharged. Number three, forgiveness of sin is through the blood of Christ. Free grace is the impulsive cause. Christ's blood is the meritorious. Without shedding of blood is no remission, Hebrews 9.22. Justice would be revenged either on the sinner or on the surety. Every pardon is the price of blood. Number four, before sin is forgiven, it must be repented of. Therefore, repentance and remission are linked together. Quote, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, Luke 24, 47. Not that repentance in a popish sense merits forgiveness. Christ's blood must wash our tears away, but repentance is a qualification, though not a cause. He who is humbled for sin will value pardoning mercy the more. When there is nothing in the soul but clouds of sorrow, and now God brings a pardon, which is a setting up of a rainbow in the cloud, to tell the sinner that the flood of wrath shall not overflow him. Oh, what joy there is at the sight of this rainbow. The soul that before was steeped in tears now melts in love to God. Luke 7, 38 and 47. Number five. God, having forgiven sin, he will no longer call it to remembrance, Jeremiah 31, 34. 
The Lord will make an act of indemnity. He will not upbraid us with former unkindness, nor sue us with a canceled bond. Quote, he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7, 19. Sin shall not be cast in like cork, which rises up again, but like lead, which sinks to the bottom. How we should all labor for this covenant blessing. Subpoint one, how sad it is to lack it. It must of necessity go badly with the malefactor who lacks his pardon. All the curses of God stand in full force against the unpardoned sinner. His very blessings are cursed, Malachi 2.2. 2. Caesar wondered at one of his soldiers who was so merry when he was in debt. Can the sinner be merry who is heir to all God's curses and does not know how soon he may take up his lodgings among the damned? Subpoint two. How sweet it is to have it. The pardoned soul is out of the gunshot of hell. Romans 8.33 Satan may accuse, but Christ will show a discharge. The pardoned soul may go to God with boldness in prayer. Guilt clips the wings of prayer so that it cannot fly to the throne of grace, but forgiveness breeds confidence. He who has his pardon may look his prince in the face with comfort. This great mercy of pardon David had obtained, as appears in verse 5, Thou forgavest me. And because he had found God, a God of pardons, Nehemiah 9.17, he therefore encouraged others to seek God in the words of the text, For this cause shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee. Chapter 2, Expounding the Nature of Godliness Everyone that is godly It will first be inquired, what is godliness? I answer in general, godliness is the sacred impression and workmanship of God in a man, whereby from being carnal, he is made spiritual. When godliness is wrought in a person, he does not receive a new soul, but he has another spirit. Numbers 14.24 The faculties are not new, but the qualities are. The strings are the same, but the tune is corrected. Concerning godliness, I shall lay down these seven maxims or propositions. Number one, godliness is a real thing. It is not a fantasy, but a fact. Godliness is not the feverish conceit of a sick brain. A Christian is no enthusiast, one whose religion is all made up of fancy. Godliness has truth for its foundation. It is called the way of truth, Psalm 119.30. Godliness is a ray and beam that shines from God. If God is true, then godliness is true. Number two, godliness is an intrinsic thing. It lies chiefly in the heart, quote, circumcision that is of the heart, Romans 2.29. The dew lies on the leaf, the sap is hidden in the root. The moralist religion is all in the leaf, it consists only in externals, but godliness is a holy sap which is rooted in the soul, quote, in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Psalm 51, 6. The Chaldean expounds it in the close place of the heart. Number three, godliness is a supernatural thing. By nature, we inherit nothing but evil. When we were in the flesh, the motions of sin did work in our members. Romans 7, 5. We sucked in sin as naturally as our mother's milk, but godliness is the wisdom from above. James three seventeen. It is breathed in from heaven. God must light up the lamp of grace in the heart. Weeds grow of themselves. Flowers are planted. Godliness is a celestial plant that comes from the new Jerusalem. Therefore, 
It is called a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. A man has no more power to change himself than to create himself. Number four, godliness is an extensive thing. It is a sacred leaven that spreads itself into the whole soul. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 There is light in the understanding, order in the affections, pliableness in the will, exemplariness in the life. We do not call a black man white because he has white teeth. He who is good only in part is not godly. Grace is called the new man, Colossians 3.10. Not a new eye or tongue, but a new man. He who is godly is good all over. Though he is regenerate only in part, yet it is in every part. Number five, godliness is an intense thing. It does not lie in a dead formality or indifference, but is vigorous and flaming, quote, fervent in spirit, Romans 12, 11. We call water hot when it is so in the third or fourth degree. He whose devotion is inflamed is godly and his heart boils over in holy affections. Number six, godliness is a glorious thing. As the jewel to the ring, so is piety to the soul, bespangling it in God's eyes. Reason makes us men. Godliness makes us earthly angels. By it we partake of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4. Godliness is near akin to glory, glory and virtue, 2 Peter 1.3. Godliness is glory in the seed, and glory is godliness in the flower. Number seven, godliness is a permanent thing. Aristotle says, names are given from the habit. We do not call the one who blushes sanguine, but the one who is of a ruddy complexion. 1 Samuel 17, 42. A blush of godliness is not enough to distinguish a Christian, but godliness must be the temper and complexion of the soul. Godliness is a fixed thing. There is a great deal of difference between a stake in the hedge and a tree in the garden. A stake rots and molders, but a tree having life in it abides and flourishes. When godliness is taken root in the soul, it abides to eternity. Quote, his seed remaineth in him, 1 John 3, 9. Godliness being engraved in the heart by the Holy Ghost, as with the point of a diamond, can never be erased. Chapter 3, A Reproof to Such as Are Only Pretenders to Godliness. Here is a sharp rebuke to such as are glittering dross. Christians, who only make a show of godliness, like Michael, who put an image in the bed and so deceived Saul's messengers, 1 Samuel 19.16. These our Savior calls whited sepulchers, Matthew 23.27. Their beauty is all paint. In ancient times, a third part of the inhabitants of this island were called picts, which signifies painted. It is to be feared that they still retain their old name. How many are painted only with the vermilion of a profession, whose seeming luster dazzles the eyes of beholders, but within there is nothing but putrefaction? Hypocrites are like the swan, which has white feathers but a black skin, or like the lily, which has a fair color but a bad scent. Thou hast a name that thou livest, and art dead. Revelation 3.1 These the Apostle Jude compares to clouds without water, Jude 12. 
They claim to be full of the Spirit, but they are empty clouds. Their goodness is but a religious cheat. Question. But why do persons content themselves with a show of godliness? Answer. This helps to keep up their fame. Honor me now before the people, 1 Samuel 15.30. Men are ambitious of credit and wish to gain repute in the world. Therefore, they will dress themselves in the garb and mode of religion, such that others may write them down for saints. But alas, what is one the better for having others commend him and his conscience condemn him? What good will it do a man when he is in hell that others think he has gone to heaven? Oh, beware of this. Counterfeit piety is double iniquity. Number one, to have only a show of godliness is a God-enraging sin. The man who is a pretender to saintship, but whose heart tells him he has nothing but the name, carries Christ in his Bible, but not in his heart. Some politic design spurs him on in the ways of God. He makes religion a lackey to his carnal interest. What is this but to abuse God to his face and to serve the devil in Christ's livery? Hypocrisy makes the fury rise up in God's face. Therefore, he calls such persons the generation of his wrath, Isaiah 10.6. God will send them to hell to do penance for their hypocrisy. Number two, to make only a show of godliness is self-delusion. Ajax, in his frenzy, took sheep for men, but it is a worse mistake to take a show of grace for grace. That is to cheat yourself, deceiving your own souls, James 1.22. He who has counterfeit gold instead of true wrongs himself most. The hypocrite deceives others while he lives, but deceives himself when he dies. Number three, to have only a name and make a show of godliness is odious to God and man. The hypocrite is born under a sad planet. He is abhorred by all. Wicked men hate him because he makes a show, and God hates him because he only makes a show. The wicked hate him because he has so much of a mask of godliness, and God hates him because he has no more. Thou hast almost persuaded me to be a Christian, Acts 26, 28. The wicked hate the hypocrite because he is almost a Christian, and God hates him because he is only almost one. Number four, to be only comets and make a show of piety is a vain thing. Hypocrites lose all they have done. Their dissembling tears drop beside God's bottle. Their prayers and fasts prove abortive. When ye fasted and mourned, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? Zechariah 7, 5. As God will not recompense a slothful servant, neither will he recompense a treacherous one. All the hypocrite's reward is in this life. They have their reward, Matthew 6, 5. A poor reward, the empty breath of men. The hypocrite may make his receipt and write, Received in full payment. Augustus Caesar had great triumphs granted to him, but the Senate would not allow him to be consul or sit in the Senate house. Hypocrites may have the praise of men, but though these triumphs are granted them, they shall never have the privilege of sitting in the Senate house of heaven. What acceptance can he look for from God? whose heart tells him he is no better than a mountebank in divinity. Number five, to have only a pretense of godliness will yield no comfort at death. Will painted gold enrich a man? Will painted wine refresh him who is thirsty? Will the paint of godliness stand you in any stead? How were the foolish virgins better for their blazing lamps when they had no oil? What is the lamp of profession without the oil of grace? He who has only a painted holiness shall have a painted happiness. Number six, 
you who have nothing but a specious pretext and mask of piety, expose yourself to Satan's scorn. You shall be brought forth at the last day, as was Samson, to make the devil sport. Judges 16.25 He will say, What has become of your vows, tears, confessions? Has all your religion come to this? Did you so often defy the devil, and have you now come to dwell with me? Could you meet with no weapon to kill you, but what was made of gospel metal? Could you not suck poison anywhere but out of ordinances? Could you find no way to hell but by seeming godly? What a vexation this will be to have the devil thus reproach a man. It is sad to be crowed over in this life. Cleopatra, queen of Egypt, when she saw she was reserved by the enemy for a triumph, put asps to her breasts and died so that she might avoid the infamy. What then will it be to have the devil triumph over a man on the last day? Let us therefore take heed of this kind of pageantry or devout stage play. That which may make us fear our hearts the more is when we see tall cedars in the church, worm-eaten with hypocrisy. Balaam, a prophet, Jehu, a king, Judas, an apostle, all of them stand to this day on record as hypocrites. It is true that there are seeds of this sin in the best, but as it is with leprosy under the law, all who had swellings or spots in the skin of the flesh were not reputed unclean and put out of the camp. Leviticus 13.6 So all who have these swellings of hypocrisy in them are not judged to be hypocrites, for these may be the spots of God's children. Deuteronomy 32.5 But that which distinguishes a hypocrite is when hypocrisy is predominant and is like a spreading fluid in the body. Question. When is a man under the dominion and power of hypocrisy? Answer. There are two signs of its predominance. One, a squint eye, when one serves God for sinister ends. Two, a good eye, when there is some sin dear to a man which he cannot part with. These two are as clear signs of a hypocrite as any I know. Oh, let us take David's candle and lantern and search for this leaven and burn it before the Lord. Christian, if you mourn for hypocrisy, yet find this sin so potent that you cannot get the mastery of it, go to Christ. Beg of him that he would exercise his kingly office in your soul, that he would subdue this sin and put it under the yoke. Beg of Christ to exercise his spiritual surgery upon you. Desire him to lance your heart and cut out the rotten flesh, and that he would apply the medicine of his blood to heal you of your hypocrisy. Say that prayer of David often. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes. Psalm 119.80 Lord, let me be anything rather than a hypocrite. Two hearts will exclude from one heaven. Well, there you go. A pretty stark contrast between the nature of godliness and the downfall of hypocrisy. A good reminder for all of us. Let's pray as we close and consider that. Lord God, I pray that uh, you would help us to be serious about hypocrisy, to really search ourselves and to determine if our profession is genuine. And anywhere where we have put up a false front of godliness for the sake of impressing others, help us to cast that away from us, to be honest men, sincere men who seek to be obedient from the heart, not just on the outside. Pray for my brother that you would give him strength today to walk 
in honesty and holiness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brother. Have a good day. Thank you.